find two men that are men of prayer. And their lives will collide through the divine orchestration of God and his plan. And on that note, would you just join with me as we just commit this time of learning to the Lord together in prayer. And prayer is very simply talking to God and listening and responding. And as we prepare to come to his word together, I would encourage you to, to seek the Lord in, in just in your own heart as we, as a group, gather around his word together. Asking that he would speak to you and, and show you the things that you need to learn and appreciate from this text. Father, we pray as Samuel did, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Remove the distractions of this week, of this morning, the burdens, the, the anxieties, the wandering thoughts, and enable us just to hear from your Holy Spirit and from your Holy Word now, we pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in Kaluga, region of Russia, 2014. I traveled the whole region, and it was, it was a Sunday morning, so it reminds me of this this morning. And we were just on my way back to Moscow to the airport, and so we stopped at this city we hadn't visited, and there in this city was a beautiful church. It was a prime location. They had this, this wonderful church. It was a very industrialized city. It actually has a nuclear power plant. And so downtown in this city is a, is a clock, and on the clock it also has the, the local atomic reading, right? So you know, is it radio, you know, is it hot out there? You know, how hot is it, right? You know, so you can tell how much radioactive, you know, stuff is in the air, 0.001, whatever it was. It's just kind of a, you know, a fun thing, you know, just so you know, you know, is, is it time to leave town or stay in town, whatever. There we were, they built this beautiful church. The main floor was kind of a hall, the upper floor was the sanctuary. I can still remember just the shiny ceiling and, and uh, the church was full, about 200 people. And, and I was preaching. And um, every time you preach through an interpreter, you're always left to wonder what's actually getting said. You know, and, and I've had good interpreters, I've had not so good interpreters, and sometimes you know that, that you're, you know, some are so intent to get the, the words you're preaching that, that they, they kind of miss the message. Some don't understand your words, so they make up their own message. And you're, you're really dependent, really, on, on, on you know, the Holy Spirit and the, you know, the, the, the dynamic between you and the interpreter. Well, so I, I preached the gospel. I don't remember the text, actually, but it was Jesus. He died for your sins. He rose again within the context of the passage I was working through. And at the end, we just called for prayer, and, you know, people wanted to respond. And um, this young girl gets up and walks to the aisle and comes front and, and repents of her sins and receives Jesus as her Savior with the pastor there. And, and I'm, just, you know, I'm just awed. I mean, this has happened to me several times, and you're just like, there's no way that... that you know, just because I was there that this happened. In fact, there's something, you know, there was a lot going on in this, in this whole, in her life, obviously, but I just happened to be the guy that day playing in the orchestra and, and to see this person come and receive Christ. It was, it was awesome. It was like, this had to be God's work. And in Acts chapter 10, we have this kind of a, a situation going on. God has written this song of history. It's the song of, of salvation history. And it, it begins in, in the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's the beginning of, of God's song. And, and the song kind of goes through. I mean, there's, this, there's the sin picture, and then there's kind of the salvation picture. God is going to bring salvation. And it, it kind of, the culmination of the song is Jesus Christ dying on the cross and then rising again. It's the crescendo. It's the, the climax. And then kind of the anticlimax of the song is, is the early church. And we're living in that right now. This song that God is orchestrating. In the midst of this song, we are all players, or can be potential players, 
in God's beautiful orchestration. In Acts chapter 10, we find two guys that are from different parts, but they're brought together into the song of, that God is writing here, and it's the story of the church. It starts with a guy named Cornelius in chapter 10, verse 1 of Acts. Now, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a leader. He was respected, but he was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. Up to this point in the book of Acts, everything that's going on tends to focus on Jewish people. Maybe there's, there's the Ethiopian eunuchs, there's a few, but most, for the most part, it's Jewish people receiving Jesus as their Messiah. But now in Acts chapter 10, we introduce this guy named Cornelius. Caesarea was a beautiful Roman city, plunked right in the middle of Israelite territory. It was built on the Roman design and foundation. It had all the Roman you know, entertainment features there. It was said that the Colosseum in, in, in Caesarea was bigger than the Colosseum in Rome. And some of you, I know, have seen that. I've seen it, and like, that's a, it's an impressive feature. But Caesarea even had a bigger Colosseum than that. It had a hippodrome where they would race. It had, had all the things of Roman culture, which made it that much more despicable to the Jews that lived around. It was a place of tension, of conflict. Uh, the Jews and the Romans weren't real happy in their, in their cohabitation in the Israelite territory because the Jews had this crazy idea that the land belonged to them, right? Well, it did. That's what the Bible tells us. But the Romans like, no, no, we own this land. We've conquered this land. You belong to us. And so there was this tension. But, so here we have Cornelius. He, he already has some things going against him in the Jewish eyes. He's not only a Gentile, but he's also part of the Roman government. He serves this empire. But interestingly, in verse 2, it tells us his spiritual qualifications. It says he was a devout, God-fearing man, and as was all his household, he did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. Interestingly, he comes from Italy into Caesarea, and he encounters the Jewish God, and he, he recognizes there's something about this God, and so he begins to pray to this God. He, he abandons the Roman gods he used to serve, and, and, he, and he begins to pray to this God. Not only that, he realizes this God says that we're supposed to look after the poor, so, so he begins to kind of open up his wallet and help out poor people in Caesarea, and, and, he, and he practices regular times of prayer, and, and, and the people are saying, wow, there's something about this guy. He's a bit different. He's a prayer. And in light of last week's message, if you were here, the people who get into the music of God's orchestration are people that are praying. The people that are in tune with God in this passage are the ones that are praying. They're not just kind of waiting for the song to catch up to them. They, they are engaging into the song and, and listening and tuning themselves to what, whatever melody and whatever tune, whatever pitch that the song is presenting. Here he is. He's seeking God. Cornelius has the first page of the sheet music. But he kind of gets to the end. The song isn't finished, but he doesn't have the, the next page. But he's doing everything he knows to do right. He prays, he gives alms, he, you know, he's, he's, he's worshiping the one and true God as he knows him. And an interesting thing happens in verse 3. About 3 o'clock one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius! <laughs> Staring at him, becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, What is it, Lord? The angel said to him, your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is called Peter. The man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner. His house is by the sea. Now, notice this is not a generic vision. This isn't like something you're going to find in a fortune cookie, right? 
you know, you will meet someone. <laughs> Love is in the air, you know. An exciting opportunity awaits you. I mean, this is very specific. He, spe he speaks to them directly. Cornelius, this is happening during the day. This is not at night after Cornelius has been up late with the boys having beers. This, this is Cornelius, broad daylight, specifically to him and with specific directions. Go to Joppa. Look for a guy named Simon Peter who's in the house of Simon the Tanner. And, you know, he's going to bring him here because he's got something to tell you. It's very specific. You see, God is writing the melody to this tune. And these guys are just kind of playing in God's song, different instruments at different points. It says that Cornelius responds. When the angel had spoken to him, departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And immediately, he's a, he's a man under authority. He understands God's spoken. I need to respond. Boom, they're gone. He's not saying, what did this really mean? I wonder, I wonder what, the, what the meaning of this, of this vision was. No, he's like, okay, obviously, I need to do this. Action. Sometimes I think God speaks to us, and we're like, oh, what, what does God really mean, you know? Does it really mean I should stop that bad habit? I should end this inappropriate relationship? I should, you know, quit doing those, those you know, unethical things at work? I mean, no, does it really mean that? And, you know, we, we question it, we justify it, we, we rationalize it. And, and when God speaks, we need to just stop and listen. I mean, he'll convict you. He'll bring things to mind. He'll bring actions that need to stop. He'll direct you to directions you need to go people you need to reconcile with, people you need to forgive, people you need to speak kind, whatever it is. I mean, he responds in, in immediate immediacy here. He sends him off to Joppa. We pan away from that, and we come now in verse 9 to Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, faithful to the Lord, leader of the Jewish Christian church. Verse 9, at noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing the meal, a trance came over him. This is not, um, you know, blood sugar issues. This is just, you know, God is speaking to him in this issue. So understand, this is not just, you know, he's smelling some smoke and he's, you know, starting to see things. This is not what's happening here. He saw heaven open and an object something like a large sheet descending, being let down to the earth by its four corners. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, slaughter and eat. This is kind of like, you know, when we go to the grocery store and you're hungry. You know, everything looks good, right? You know, if you're craving sugar and you go and there's an old donut, I mean, you know it's an old donut, but you're just like, I need, a, I need some sugar and, you know, or chocolate and you just kind of, you know, at least they'll text me when I come home from work and she said, would you pick up four things, you know, and I go to the grocery store, it's 5 o'clock, 5.30, I'm hungry and I get those four things and I get five, six, you know, because I'm, I'm just walking, hey, that looks good, you know, and, you know, this is Peter, I mean, he's hungry, there's a sheet, there's food in it, he's like, hey, Peter, get up, kill and eat, but there's a problem. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Things that the Jews were forbidden to eat. You know, the Jews would not have done good in these kind of survival competitions, right? You can't eat lizards, can't eat snakes, can't eat eels, can't eat seagulls. You know, like there were certain things that, you know, they were just prohibited from eating. But there they are. There's pigs in this blanket, I imagine. There's all these things that all the other people eat, but they don't eat. And, hey, Peter, come on, have, you know, have a meal. And he's like, I can't do this. Look at his response. 
Certainly not, Lord, for I've never eaten anything defiled or ritually unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider ritually unclean. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. For Peter, the number three is pretty important. It sometimes takes Peter three times to get it in his life history, if you, if you know his story. I mean, denies Jesus three times, three times Jesus asks him if he loves him. I mean, this is Peter's kind of go-to. It, he doesn't get it the first time. He doesn't get it the second time. Most of us men are like that. We need about three times. And finally, he starts to, to click in. Okay, maybe, you know, I need, I need to learn this lesson. And three times, it's like, come on, Peter, kill and eat. I can't do this. I've never been, you know, what God has called clean, don't call unclean. He's like, what are you talking about? It says in verse 17, he was puzzling. While Peter was puzzling over the vision he'd seen, what it could signify, the men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. Now you see this? This thing that happened like the whole day before suddenly is coming to fruition right at his doorstep. Peter couldn't have planned that, couldn't have orchestrated that. Only God could have orchestrated that. He's like, what does this mean? And he hears his footsteps. Hey, is Peter here, Simon? Peter? And while Peter was still thinking seriously, oh, sorry, they called to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as a guest. And while Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the Spirit said to him, the Holy Spirit, the one that he'd received at, at Pentecost, the, the living presence of God in his life, not, a, not an abstract power of the universe that kind of circles over us all. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he speaks. As a part of the Godhood, he speaks directly to us, and he speaks to Peter here. He's a person. He, the Holy Spirit, speaks to him. And he says to him, Look, three men are looking for you, but get up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, because I've sent them. God is preparing Peter for what could be one of the greatest stretching moments of his life. He is going to be pushed completely outside of his comfort zone into something completely abnormal and, and unexpected. But God is right in the middle of all this. The fact that these men have shown up is obviously, we know, is because of God. The fact that Peter now is going to go down and greet them is because God has spoken to him. I mean, God is, God is writing this melody, but Peter's just kind of playing his part in the course. But it's like, wow, this doesn't make any sense. This vision, and now there are these guys at the gate. Do it without Hesitation, that word hesitation could also mean don't make any distinction or do it without discrimination. He's preparing Peter for something big here. There are guys going to be at that gate that you're not used to hanging out with. Be prepared without discrimination. Unfettered obedience, which takes no time to fret over our conscience. Without Hesitation. So Peter went down to the men and said, Here I am, the person you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear a message from you. Like, whew, that's a pretty heavy message, right? And so he's like, man, I, I have no idea, but there's, there's some guy over there in Caesarea, a centurion, a Roman official, who wants me to come with a message. God is in this. The Holy Spirit told him to go down there. There's these Gentiles. And then, so, so Peter invited them in and entertained them as guests. He's beginning to take the steps forward 
to accept and to welcome those outside of the Jewish faith. Now understand, for Jews, this wasn't normal. You ate with a Gentile, you were considered unclean. You were defiled. And here Peter is inviting them in, and he's going to go with them. So the next day he got up and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. I mean, what else would you do? I mean, he knew God was in this, and he's, oh, Peter, here you are, you know. And, and, and look what Peter does. Peter helped him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a mere mortal. I'm just a man. I'm just a man. It's interesting that Peter, the great apostle, the cornerstone of the church, would not receive worship from any man. Did not ask him to kiss his ring or to bow or give many of He said, no, no, get up, get up, get up. I'm just a man. And Peter continued talking with him as he went in, and he found many people gathered together. He said to them, everyone's in the room. They're all Gentiles. None of them are Jews, except for the people with him. And there they are, a bunch of Gentiles. This is not normal. Jews just didn't go to Gentiles' houses and, and hang out with them. This wasn't customary, especially in a city like, like Caesarea. I mean, that's a Roman city and, you know, all that stuff. And there he is. I mean, he's walking into untainted, you know, uncharted territories. And he, what is going on? This is totally outside of his comfort zone. And, and he blurts it out. He says the obvious. What everyone's thinking, no one's saying. Peter says to them, verse 28, You know... It's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. <laughs> it's, this is, I really shouldn't be here, legitimately speaking, you know, just everybody, you know. But, yet, God has shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. He gets the, the vision now. Yeah, God's trying to tell me, there are no unclean people. Everyone is created in the image of God and deserves equal access to the gospel of Jesus Christ without restriction. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. Now may I ask, why you sent for me? I mean, the picture's starting to come together. The song is starting to, to play. The melodies are, 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 are aligning here as, as, as Cornelius and Peter kind of share their sides of the story. And Cornelius replies, Four days ago at this very hour, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Come, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is called Peter. The man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. The reason he reiterates all this, I think, is for us to know this whole story wasn't made up by Peter or by Cornelius. This is God's story. And these two guys are just playing instruments in the band. Verse 33, Therefore I sent for you at once. And you were kind enough to come, so now we're here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. I mean, Peter's used to having hostile crowds. He's had some receptive crowds. He has other crowds that are ready to kill him. He's been thrown in prison because, I mean, he's, they've had other issues. I mean, th th this has not always been a welcome message. And here they are, a bunch of non-Jewish people, kind of pagans in their mind, and there they are. They're like, give us the message of God. We want to hear it. You know, this is happening all over the world because we're created as spiritual people. Even people that don't acknowledge God or Jesus have inherent spirituality. And they find other ways to express it, right? Many of them are right now in Banff, Canmore, Kananaskis, northern Alberta. You know, they're, they're experiencing their God of nature 
trying to, you know, find and get in tune with their spiritual side. Others are, are doing things, you know, a different, you know, getting their readings or, you know, looking at the stars. I mean, we have this spiritual spirituality built within us from the Creator. But it doesn't find its true harmony until we discover the Creator and salvation through our Creator. And God has brought Cornelius to a place where he's ready to see the next page of the music. We, want to, we understand the tomb. We understand there's one God, but, but how do we relate to him? I read the story of a chief in Malaysia. He was repairing an old idol he had. And, you know, and this is the idols they worshipped. And, and he said to his wife, you know, this is foolish. Here we are worshipping these wooden objects, but our hands are greater than they are. Surely there must be a higher being, the God who created all of us. Let's worship him. So for 25 years, they had a little prayer room in their house, and they would go and worship this unknown God. And one day, a missionary came and introduced the chief and his wife to the Bible and, and to Jesus Christ. And when they heard the good news, they rejoiced and said, this is the true God we've been seeking all these years. Now we believe in him. It happens all over. So you think you're just kind of, you know, playing a, a part in this big band, but, but God is orchestrating events and people to connect. And we have this desire to, to know God. And, and Cornelius and his family are ready. It's, it's the preacher's dream of people that say, yeah, give us God's message. I said to the early service, you prepare yourself for the sermon before you even arrive at the church. You want to get more out of, out of church? Prepare yourself before you come. Uh, prepare your heart. Pray. Meditate. Turn off your phone. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. And come ready to hear from God. Remove whatever criticism that might be dwelling in your heart and just come ready to hear from God. This, the enemy will try to distract you on route to church. He will make your kids just be little imps. <laughs> he will cause issues to happen in your home, your car, the traffic. I mean, he may even send you a text during the service to distract you from, from listening to me or from hearing from the songs. I mean, he doesn't want you to come and, and to hear from God, but, but God wants you to listen and to hear and to respond to him every, every time you come to church and every time you meet with him. They're ready. And so Peter starts speaking in verse 34. I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation, the person who fears him does what is right and is welcome before him. It's key. This, this is huge. This is the turning point for Peter. I get it now. I thought you had to become a Jew in order to get to God. But now I realize God doesn't show favorites. The Jews aren't his favorite. God loves all people. You don't have to be Jewish, middle class, white collar, making six figures a year. Educated, white skin, black skin, dark skin, red skin. He shows no favorites. <clears throat> you know the message, he said in verse 36. He sent to the people of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace <clears throat> through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And that's the gospel right there. It's the key verse in this whole chapter. Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter gets it now. He's like, wow, this is universal in scope. This is not just 
God kind of squeezing everyone through the Jewish nation. No, no, actually, salvation comes to the Jewish nation, but how? Because Jesus was Jewish, but now salvation comes through Jesus. He is Lord of all. You don't have to become a Jew in order to know God. You need to approach him through Jesus Christ. And he gives them the gospel, verse 37. You know what happened through Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John announced? With respect to Jesus from Nazareth, that God appointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. I mean, he had the power, you guys. I, Peter's telling him, I saw him. I mean, he was baptized, he received the Holy Spirit, he conquered demons, he healed sick people, he raised people from the dead. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. And he says, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Now, to a Roman audience, you got to understand, I mean, the cross and crucifixion was a, was a gory picture. It was a despised picture. You wouldn't hang a cross up in your house in first century, you know, Israel. I mean, that, that was like putting up a hangman's noose. It's kind of a, it'd be a sick kind of a perverse thing to do, right? I mean, it was, it was a gory picture. It was, it was a picture of execution, of, of punishment, of shame. And he says, you know, they killed him by nailing him to a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us, the witnesses God has already chosen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. I mean, this really happened, guys. We, we ate with him, we drank with him, we touched him. He was real. It wasn't a ghost, it wasn't an apparition, it wasn't some vision. Jesus really rose from the dead. He died and he rose from the dead. This is the gospel, people. He commanded us to preach to the people and to warn them that he is the one appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. About him, all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then suddenly they, they get it. Cornelius and his friends and his family are like, wow, we've been looking for God, but now we understand Jesus actually is God, and, and he himself made the way to God. So by coming to, in faith in Jesus Christ, we come to God, and, we, and we're forgiven, and we, we get part of the family. Everything comes together. And it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The same thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 with the, with the Jewish church in Jerusalem happens here with all these Gentiles. They're speaking other languages. They're praising God. They've received the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, No one can withhold the water for those who want, people who want to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. So they, Then they asked him to stay for several Days. It was kind of the, the Pentecost experience of the Gentiles. And for Peter, it was a conversion for Cornelius and his friends. It was a conversion for Peter. Because he never envisioned that, that God would just pour his Holy Spirit on these people that, that hadn't gone through the Jewish rite of circumcision, hadn't been, you know, followed the Jewish standards. It was like, that didn't matter anymore. All that mattered was Jesus. He is Lord of all. So the text tells us a lot about God's plan. What does he want? He wants people to come to know him through Jesus Christ. That's God's melody. That's his tune. It's a tune that, that the whole Old Testament points up to. It's a tune that the whole New Testament kind of accelerates down to. And at the end, it kind of comes up. What, 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 what's the picture at the end? Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, and all those who believe and know him are, are gathered around, worshiping together in, in one big family and chorus. That is the end of the whole story. It's a wonderful melody. 
And the amazing thing is that he invites us to play it, to be part of the orchestra, to join the tune of divine orchestration. And like, what does that mean for me? Like, what do I have to do? Do I need to do more stuff? And that's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying, you need to be available. And prayer is, is the, the beginning point of that. Is as you pray to God, he's going to reveal and show and direct and, and guide. And, 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 you know, and, and it starts maybe just you in your neighborhood, walking around, praying for the people that live around you. It's you at work, praying for the you know, other guys and girls in the shop, in the office. It's you on the road praying for the other people that are driving with you. I mean, it's, it's just little tiny pieces. You in communion with God, listening to the melody, playing when called upon to play, and seeing God do the work. We don't have to do it. We don't have to manufacture the song. He's already written it. But he invites us to play it. So I stood up in Russia and offered a, a feeble sermon and a girl comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And I just said, wow, obviously this is God's song. This is not Mike's song. For all I know, that sermon was horrible. But Jesus was in it. <laughs> and that's all it needs. Our feeble attempts, but you put Jesus as Lord in the center of it. It's amazing what happens. And for the church, this is the message for them. Keep Christ center. And we add other things, and we have our constitutions, we have our bylaws, we have this and that, and our traditions and our liturgies, and, and, that, and that, that, those have their place, but they are not equal with Jesus as Lord of all. We have to just realize that there, there's a central unifying feature of, of the church and of the melody that God writes for all of history. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I mean, that's what Paul writes in Philippians, right? That every, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, that's, that's the tune of eternity. Jesus Christ is is Lord. And the people that discover that here and now get to sing it for eternity. And the reason that we're left behind to play God's song is to, to grow the band, so to speak. And we all play a part. You're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a senior. I don't, I don't have the energy to, to teach Sunday school. It doesn't matter. You can pray. Well, you know, I'm not good at this. It doesn't matter. God has something that, that you can do and you can serve. I mean, that's why we're going to camp next weekend because some of you are really good at that kind of stuff. And I'm going to come and hand you tools and watch you and, and we're going to work together. But I mean, that, that each of us has something to contribute to this song. I told the first service, I, I played in a band when I was in junior high and, and um, I was a percussionist. And the one song, was a song that had this bell part of it. It was like, I think I had four notes the whole song, right? And I just had to take this hammer and bang these long cylindrical bells, you know? But, and where I played was critical. If I missed my, my, my spot on the song, I blew the whole song. It was, a, it was a heavy pressure, but, but I just had to wait, count, watch the music, and then all of a sudden, dung, 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 whatever it was. I just, I, I just remember I was like I was so nervous because I, I just had three notes, but, that, but my notes were important because that was the only time that that bell was played the whole song. But each part, each person is important. And everyone can contribute. And God builds this church. It's not Jewish anymore. It's everyone. And each of us, you know, we're born and we're raised with prejudices. And, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to bury those things. People are going to show up here. I'm just letting you know. We're going to put an ashtray out there. Because if you smoke, you're welcome at Grace Baptist Church. Just don't throw your butts on the ground. Put them in the ashtray, and that's okay, Right? People can show up with tattoos and piercings here. We're okay with that. That's fine. You come as you are, and we present to you Jesus Christ. Your life may be a little messy. 
Things may not all figure out the way you'd like them to be. You're like, oh, I'm going through a divorce. That's okay. We're, that's why we got divorce care, because we want to care for you through that. I've just, had a, you know, I've just lost someone. That's okay. I'm, I'm in job transition. I've got this addiction. I've got, you know what, we're, as long as, you know, you, you're willing to kind of keep Jesus in the part of that, we're willing to walk with you and help you through that. This is part of what God has called us to do, to reach out with the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So as you enter the summer, I just encourage you to, to be available and to begin praying a little bit, but let it grow and just see how God directs and guides you as you move with him. And so would you pray with me as we